Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. Your host is Dr. Lee Friedman. Hip pain can be a major roadblock to an active lifestyle and even affect activities of daily living. This is sometimes even more profound when a hip disorder affects a younger patient. What are ways we can preserve hip function for younger patients who are suffering from hip disorders and who are not candidates for hip replacement? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Atul Kamath, Director of the Center for Hip Preservation and Assistant Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kamath, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Freeman. This is a very exciting topic. Maybe we should start with a little bit about you. Uh, what, what is your role as the Director of the Center for Hip Preservation at Penn Medicine? I had done training in traditional hip and knee reconstruction, uh, which uh, involves uh, arthroplasty procedures like total hip and total knee replacement. I had also done uh, additional training uh, in the United States as well as in Europe for the field of hip preservation, which involves seeking uh, open and arthroscopic solutions as well as non-surgical treatments for patients who are young and active and have good cartilage but have hip pain. I, as the director of the Center for Hip Preservation, I've, it's a unique opportunity for me to develop my passion for joint preservation of the hip and the knee, and it's a, a unique opportunity for me to, to seek patients with early as well as advanced diseases of the hip and knee, and it was a, afforded this unique opportunity at Penn, and, uh, and, I, and I took it. That sounds very, uh, very intriguing, and I can understand why you were drawn to Penn Medicine for this opportunity. Let's turn our focus now to the uh, main point of our discussion, and that is hip preservation. It's not a term as an internist I'm familiar with. Could you describe what we mean by that? Hip preservation I would define as techniques and treatments, both surgical and non-surgical for active patients, uh, who have healthy cartilage and have either underlying structural or biomechanical causes for their hip pain. And the whole goal of hip preservation is to prevent further joint degradation by correcting abnormal anatomy or soft tissue or bony abnormalities about the hip uh, that may accelerate joint degeneration. And so for uh, patients who are undergoing treatments for joint preservation, they're generally younger patients with good cartilage, uh, but may have either underlying structural problems, sequelae of childhood diseases, or injuries related to high activity levels around the hip and the pelvis. Joint preservation, of course, has a number of factors, and this is dependent on a patient's function, uh, the biology of their hip disease, as well as some systemic conditions that may cause early joint degradation. So this is definitely different than the, the typical hip replacement type of approach that we see in, in older patients. And, and the spectrum, it, it sounds like you mentioned uh, some congenital disorders, and, and then I imagine a lot of athletes or dancers. Is, is that the spectrum that you see? Yeah, my day in the clinic is actually very interesting because I see patients as young as 10 years old, and then, of course, I see patients who, you know, maybe up to over 100, and, 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 have, and they all have a spectrum of hip pathology. Of course, as we're younger, we usually have a better quality of cartilage, and we also have higher function and activity and demands. So I would kind of group the patients I see into, you know, four major buckets. One, one bucket would be the traditional joint replacement type patients. They're older and would have degenerative disease. And that's not really the focus of the discussion today. But the other three buckets are patients who uh, either, one, have uh, sequelae of childhood disease, such as dysplasia or Perthes disease or Skiffy. Um, and then I have a, another group of patients who 
uh, are more sort of uh, athletic, uh, either high-performance athletes, performers, or artists. And these patients, you know, either have normal hips and put them in extreme or abnormal positions, which may cause damage, or some may have subtle laxities or abnormalities of the hip uh, that may, uh, when put into either normal or abnormal positions, may cause uh, things like impingement or laxity, uh, which then may cause uh, soft tissue, cartilage, or other uh, damage around the hip joint itself. And the final bucket is sort of the patients who may be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, who are very uh, young and active physiologically, who have good cartilage, but have also high demands, high expectations, and may have minimal or early uh, joint degeneration or changes, which I would not consider certainly uh, good candidates for something like joint replacement surgery. So it really it, it does cause, uh, cover the spectrum of both age, functional levels, as well as types of pathologies within the hip uh, in sort of a, a, a typical day for me in the clinic. It sounds like a very broad spectrum. Are there particular things that uh, a primary care physician should be looking for that uh, would say, hey, this uh, might be something that is up your alley, and, and what would the uh, uh, initial approach to evaluation be? In evaluating the patient, uh, of course, hip pain can be confluent with a lot of other pain around the, either the pelvis or the low back. Uh, so there's actually a, you know, a broad overlap with a lot of these pain etiologies around the hip. And for some treating physicians, this can be a source of uh, confusion or challenge in the sense of coming to a diagnosis and then a treatment plan. I always uh, focus a lot of my diagnosis on the history and physical examination, uh, depending on the, the location, the nature, and the character of the pain about the hip, low back, groin, uh, or pelvis area. That physical examination, as well as the history, will often uh, focus my attention on certain pathologies, including intraarticular hip pathology. I think the treating primary care physician or, or any physician, whether it's in uh, rehab medicine, rheumatology, or orthopedics, uh, can start with basic plain films of the, of the affected joint, as well as potential advanced imaging studies that help look deeper at the cartilage uh, and the soft tissues around the hip. Of course, uh, a lot of information I can gather as well from the radiographs and the physical examination, and often with referring physicians such as primary care doctors, I ask them only to obtain basic studies, and then I can cone down on advanced imaging studies based on what I find then on the physical examination, because there is a lot of different possibilities when it comes to hip and groin pain. So if I saw somebody with a, what I thought was a hip problem and got some x-rays, the bone looks good, and give them some rest and, and ice and NSAIDs, they're not getting better, we should start thinking maybe to send them to someone like you who can do a more detailed exam and more sophisticated uh, diagnostic tests. Yes, I agree. With x-rays that ostensibly show good joint spaces, uh, but yet the patient has groin pain or intraarticular signs of, of pain, certainly the first-line treatments I do in all my patients are physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, activity modification, weight loss, if that's an issue, and other conservative non-surgical measures. I usually try these for a number of weeks, uh, and then I would proceed with more uh, advanced imaging as well as potential therapies such as injection therapy or other treatment options for the patient. Uh, of course, yes, if, if the patient is struggling then with groin-related pain or hip pain, then uh, certainly uh, referral and, and uh, evaluation with the frame of mind of a hip preservation is, is important and would uh, can shed light a little bit further on 
the potential nature of the patient's uh, cause of the pain. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Atul uh, Kamath, Director of the Center for Hip Preservation at Penn Medicine. Dr. Kamath, uh, can you describe in a little more detail some of the more advanced imaging techniques and other diagnostic studies that you do uh, once a patient is referred to you? We do magnetic resonance imaging studies, uh, both with and without intraarticular contrast, depending on what particular cause of the patient's pain that I'm interested in further elucidating. I often will do an intraarticular arthrogram study along with the MRI, both as diagnosis as well as the therapeutic benefit. We can inject a little pain medication into the hip at the time of the arthrogram study, and the patient will keep a careful pain diary to discern between intra- and extra-articular causes of their hip pain. So that can be diagnostic uh, in, in several ways, not just the image, but uh, looking for pain relief with that. Exactly. So we can inject uh, a local anesthetic as well as potentially a, a cortisone-type treatment directly into the hip joint through a single-pass needle, which will also uh, give the dye for the MRI study. If patients have multiple pain uh, sources, such as low back pain, pelvic pain, or other pain, even extra-articular hip pain, we can then separate that in both the patient's mind and then the treating physician's mind into what contribution and to what extent the intra-articular hip pain may be causing them in their global burden of pain around the hip. These MRI studies can be fairly sophisticated in looking at cartilage and other studies looking further into actually the quality and the biologic activity of the quality of the cartilage within the hip joint itself. So it can be very sophisticated in terms of MRI imaging. There are also other studies such as three-dimensional CT scans using low-dose protocols to reconstruct the hip in three dimensions from uh, a few slices through the pelvis uh, and the hip joint itself. I can then take this information and actually run it through a specialized software that simulates the patient's own gait mechanics, and potential causes of impingement around the hip, which may be causing labral or cartilage damage. These are the workhorse studies that I, I would uh, perform. Of course, there are other more advanced uh, studies which are uh, based on rotational and other deformity analysis around the hip joint. So we can look at and it all depends uh, based on the patient's pain and what, they, what we are seeking. There are other uh, things that we can do at the Penn Center for Human Performance, including gait analysis and gait mechanics, which can be a dynamic study in in live real time, looking at the patient's uh, overall hip, knee, ankle, and low back uh, movements in three-dimensional space. I would imagine that uh, latter functional study uh, has to be key in terms of interpreting the, the structural uh, studies that you were referring to. Uh, is that difficult to correlate the uh, mechanical and the structural? I think it's very important to correlate the mechanical and the structural because in the in the clinic and in, in on x-rays, we sort of get just snapshots of how the patient is going through their daily activities. But when we get a three-dimensional study or a dynamic impingement study, we are actually simulating what the patient is feeling on a day-to-day basis and the causes of their pain. So while it is challenging and requires both uh, a three-dimensional knowledge of the pelvis and the hip, it is actually a very powerful tool and helps us understand how the patient's pain as well as their functional limitations are, are manifested. 
Very interesting. And, and then in terms of therapeutic uh, procedures that you have, it seems to me just even injecting into a hip is, is complicated. Uh, can you tell us about that and then the other procedures that you perform for hip preservation? Yes, because the hip is a deeper joint, we use image-guided techniques such as ultrasound or limited fluoroscopy to make sure that we have injected the hip appropriately. And this is in contrast to a more superficial joint like the knee joint or the shoulder, which you can almost palpate about the, that joint in contrast to the hip, which is much deeper. There are a number of other procedures that are performed depending on the patient's underlying condition. These are both arthroscopic and less invasive procedures to open procedures and larger procedures such as osteotomies. The type of procedure depends on the underlying either structural problem with the bony anatomy or problems with soft tissue anatomy about the hip. For example, if a patient has a labral tear associated with normal bony anatomy, then a procedure like hip arthroscopy may be performed to address the labral tear and reduce any impingement causes around the hip. And this can be done through minimally invasive approach. Other patients, for example, with bony dysplasia of the pelvis may require something like an osteotomy of the pelvis to correct their underlying bony deformity. Certainly an open procedure is more invasive, but is much more powerful in the setting of correcting underlying structural deformities about either the pelvis or the proximal femur. This cannot be done through uh, limited or arthroscopic incisions, but it is in the vein of correcting underlying structural deformity so that the patient has a long-term uh, preservation of the hip joint due to better biomechanics and loading of that hip joint. There are other cartilage repair and restoration techniques which are done about the knee and the hip, and a lot of these techniques have uh, a robust history in the knee joint, and we are applying some of these techniques into the hip joint itself. There are other uh, techniques to address avascular necrosis or AVN of the hip, and these include core decompression techniques as well as limited open techniques. I do also augment some of these techniques with stem cells that are, that are harvested by myself in the operating room at the time of the core decompressions and then injected into the areas of the necrotic lesions around the hip. This stimulates uh, biologic augmentation as well as decompression of the avascular necrosis lesions. So you can see that there's actually a wide range of different surgical interventions, both open and arthroscopic, that I perform, and they are largely based on the type of the, the underlying uh, disorder or deformity that the patient might be, uh, might be having. You know, it sounds uh, like it is so personalized and individualized based on the um, biomechanical studies and the structural studies and all the array of procedures you have. Uh, is, is it a focus to really uh, give each individual patient the very specific uh, care that he or she might need? Yes, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, each patient has to be treated on an individual uh, level uh, from both their examination, their history, as well as their radiographic studies and other imaging studies, it really has to be tailored to the underlying diagnosis, the nature of the patient's pain, the chronicity, and it really takes a customized patient-centered approach across this spectrum of, of hip pathology uh, that uh, is both challenging but also exciting for me uh, to, to meet these uh, patients' uh, concerns. In the minute we have left, anything that you see coming on the horizon in this field that is exciting that we should uh, be looking for? I think this field, the frontier of hip preservation surgery, while it has a pretty rich history of you know, decades of, of, of 
of understanding more in European centers. I think the United States and Europe and U.S. surgeons and, and U.S. physicians in general uh, can can learn from this understanding of uh, hip pathology from this perspective of hip preservation. I think there are a number of basic science, translational as well as clinical avenues of care that can be expanded and, and developed further uh, in order to meet the spectrum of pathology within hip and hip preservation care. Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Atul Kamath for being with us today and discussing what is a very exciting field of hip preservation. And again, Dr. Kamath, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Friedman. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com slash pen and visit Penn Physician Link, an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Penn. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.penmedicine.org slash physician link. Thank you for listening.